worship God this morning. Uh, Having been given those promises, let's now also open the Word of God uh, that He would teach us. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 18. This is a familiar chapter, I'm well aware of that. Um, This is in connection with our our text, which comes from Colossians 3, verse 13, having to do with, uh, I could could recite the whole verse, Um, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. That's the text we want to think about. Um, And so, in, in light of that, we'll read from Matthew 18, verses 15 through 35. Matthew 18, verse 15, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything." And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. So far, the word of God. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 143, stanzas 1, 4, and 5.
The text to which we'll give our attention this, this morning is only a part of a verse. In fact, it's not even a, a complete sentence. It's only part of a sentence, and yet it's one that is worth our attention. So that's in Colossians 3, verse 13, uh, where in the midst of many other instructions, the Apostle Paul also says, As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, as I promised several weeks ago, it's now almost three or maybe four weeks ago, um, the goal for this morning will be to take a quick hiatus from the the pace that we have been keeping up in Colossians uh, to focus in on, on this one verse or even this one part of a verse. And the reason for this is because Paul throws that command in, forgive others as you have been forgiven, uh, he, he throws that in together with many other commands, uh, not, not so much as a, a throwaway command, but nonetheless one that he doesn't choose to spend a lot of time elaborating on, presumably because they've been taught this at some point already. He, he assumes that they already know what this is. Uh, but many of us, as we hear it, are not going to hear that as, as a simple instruction that we're already familiar with, that none of us Uh, have questions or struggles with. On top of that, there is today substantial disagreement on uh, on what forgiveness means. I'm talking within the Christian church. Uh, There's substantial disagreement on what forgiveness means and when and how we are to forgive. And those differences matter. They make a real difference in in our lives and, and in how we deal with sins that have been committed Against us. Now, I want to say from the outset, uh, I have done a fair amount of work on on this uh, topic. Um, That's true for all my sermons, as as I'm sure you know. Uh, But I've done a fair amount of work on this, and I say that up front because as we as we move through this, there may be points where you say, "I'm not sure that's correct." And so I ask that you would bear with me as we work through the text uh, until we get all the way to the end. Think through, especially the biblical text that we'll be working with. Uh, Don't take my word for it. Hear it from the text of Scripture and hear God speaking through those texts. So the text before us is this command. Uh, Starting a little bit earlier in the verse, he says, If one has a complaint against another... Forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Let's start there with the, the, uh, the phrase, as the Lord has forgiven you. So, whatever Paul means, the basis and the model for forgiveness is as the Lord has forgiven us. That's where we take our cue for what forgiveness looks like in our lives. Uh, We need to get this because otherwise the command to forgive makes no sense. And and in fact, it even militates against our inborn sense of justice that God himself has written on our hearts. Here's the thing. Forgiveness is not a natural impulse. You don't find it in the world. Uh, It doesn't come naturally. It is a response to the cross. If you have not received forgiveness and a far greater 
forgiveness, then there's no reason why you should have to forgive anyone else. Now, that command, in fact, would, would not even make sense. But Paul here is not writing this to the world. He's writing this to Christians, uh, to Christians who themselves have received the astonishing, merciful, unmerited gift of God's forgiveness of their sins, and sins which were far greater committed against the holiness of God, which is also far greater. Uh, That's the reason why Christians forgive, because they have been forgiven a debt that is much greater. And the Lord Jesus emphasizes over and over in, in His ministry. It's there in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Uh, so our forgiveness, again, is, is, is modeled on God's forgiveness. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 14, He says, If you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And that's also why we read the, the parable in Matthew 18. There's this, this servant who owes a debt of 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was about 20 years' wages for the average laborer. So this man uh, owes, uh, owes 10,000 talents, each of which is 20 years' laborers, obviously uh, an unpayable amount. It's a ridiculous amount. And so when he's brought before the king and he, he falls on his knees and he begs him, you know, have mercy with me and I will pay you everything. It's a ludicrous suggestion that I will pay you everything. This man doesn't have uh, even a fraction of the years he will need to pay this debt. But it's the plea of a desperate man. And, and the, the Lord's point is, that is us before God. If we're going to get forgiveness, we must begin there. That is us before God. It may not seem that way to to our three-pound fallen brains that we really owe that much to God, but that's the word of Christ to us. This is you before the throne of God. Uh, And hearing that desperate plea, this king forgave the debt of his servant. So here we have a definition of forgiveness. It is the cancellation of a debt. The cancellation of a debt. This king canceled a debt that was owed him. Uh, and, And what that means, when you cancel a debt, what it essentially amounts to is you're taking that debt upon yourself. Uh, So if someone uh, owes you, let's say, $2,000 because you loaned it to them, and, and then you forgive them that debt, you are taking that amount upon yourself. It's it's a gift. It's a sacrifice that you are making. Uh, So with this king, he canceled the debt, so he took it on himself. And that is pure and undeserved grace. The king didn't owe that forgiveness. Uh, He gave it out of the goodness of his heart, and he took that upon himself. But then that servant, of course, goes home, and on his way home, he meets a fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a denarius was a day's wage uh, for a laborer. So, this is not, this has been often mischaracterized as, you know, the man owed him pennies. It wasn't pennies, it's a hundred days' wages. You know, in, in Canadian dollars, we're looking at something like $20,000. It's not, it's not a small amount. Uh, but it's obviously nothing compared to the hundred uh, or to the ten thousand talents. It's nothing compared to that. 
And yet this man is unmerciful towards the one who owes him this hundred denarii. He grabs the man by the throat and demands that he must pay what he owes. Well, what's the Lord Jesus' point in all of this? It is that... uh, it is that we must consider the debt that we owe to God as we deal with the debts that are owed to us. An unforgiving spirit is, un, is unbefitting to a forgiven servant. An unforgiving spirit does not fit with a forgiven servant. Uh, and, and that's what this king uh, makes clear when he finds out that this man is unwilling to forgive a much smaller debt He's hauled back into the throne room and cast into prison in order to pay every penny of his debt. And so the Lord Jesus concludes in Matthew 18, verse 35, So my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. So why do we forgive? We forgive because we have been forgiven a much greater debt. That's the foundation for Christian forgiveness. And that's why forgiveness is the unique hallmark of the Christian faith and the Christian life. No other religion has the same, uh, the same kind of forgiveness. Now, other religions will talk about uh, other things that are often called forgiveness, like uh, freedom from bitterness or, or letting go, or psychological release, things like that. But that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is the cancellation of a debt. It is a gift you give to someone else, taking it upon yourself because you know that you have been given much more uh, by God. Uh, Because Christians recognize how much they have been forgiven, they imitate the mercy of their king, uh, though it be on a much smaller scale. Well, that's, that's the foundation then for Christian forgiveness. As Paul says, as the Lord forgave you, so you also must forgive. Let's give our our definition of of our forgiveness then. We've seen that between us and God, forgiveness is a cancellation of a debt. Uh, And the same then is true between brothers and sisters. Uh, When we are sinned against, there is a real debt that is owed. Uh, it, It is a real debt, an outstanding moral liability. Someone owes you for what they have done. Uh, things have been done to us that ought not to have been done, or things haven't been done that ought to have been done, and a real debt of justice is indeed owed. And it may well be a very serious debt. Again, Jesus was not belittling this when he speaks of, uh, of what amounts to $20,000. Uh, and it may be a debt even greater than that. It may be a debt that is worthy of death. It is a real debt. Uh, And yet, there is a greater debt that we recognize we have owed to God than the one that is owed to us. Uh, So, we, the debt is real. We have a right, a legal right before God, a moral right to demand payment, to demand justice. It's a real debt. You are not obliged to forgive it. Just as a human being, you are not obliged to forgive. It is a real debt. And yet when we look to God, we see he too was not obliged to forgive. And so we ask, what is the spirit that is fitting for the one who has been forgiven much more? Forgiveness then, also between us, is the gracious, 
undeserved, unnecessary, so to speak, cancellation of that debt. It is a gracious decision and commitment to not require payment, though you have every right to require such payments. It is then a gracious commitment that says, I choose to no longer hold this against you, to no longer make you pay. I I graciously choose. It's a gift. I give it to you uh, to no longer consider you morally liable for what you have done to me uh, before God. Uh, So a, a debt is genuinely owed, and forgiveness is the unobliged cancellation of that debt. That's what makes it gracious. It's not obliged. Uh, True forgiveness comes at a real cost. It is taking that upon yourself. Uh, We lose the right to justice once we've forgiven someone. We lose the right to ask for justice. You cannot forgive someone and then still pray that God would, uh, would punish them or that God would hold them to account for what they've done. It is saying this debt no longer stands. It is a removal of a debt, and it is costly. Now, having said that, non-Christians have no reason and no obligation to forgive. There's no moral obligation to forgive. Uh, Now, certainly they they ought to still reckon with their own sinfulness uh, before God, but they don't. And so there is no reason why they should have to forgive. Uh, There's no reason why they should have any forgiving impulse within them. Uh, That would go against the justice of God that's written on on their own hearts. Uh, Again, human beings have every right to demand justice. But for us who believe in Christ, there's a larger picture to consider. We recognize that notwithstanding the debts that are owed to us, we ourselves owe God a much greater debt because of the sins that we have committed against Him. Uh, We've seen this in in the past weeks as well. The debt that we've owed to God is not only the things we've done that we ought not to have done, nor even only the things that we haven't done that we ought to have done, though it's certainly that, but it's also for the very people that we are. God knows our hearts. He knows what we are capable of doing, and, and that too is an offense before Him. And so for Christians we recognize what we owe to God is much greater than what anyone could owe to us, and that changes our perspective on the very real debt that is owed to us. We recognize, I do have a right to demand justice, but so does God. And God says, you may extend that right, but if you do, then so will I. As my Father, uh, as the Lord Jesus says, uh, so also my Father will do to every one of you who does not forgive. It's, it's a spirit that is not fitting to a forgiven servant. So then, forgiveness, Christian forgiveness, is the gracious, undeserved, unobliged cancellation of a debt that we Christians extend and that Christ does expect of us in light of the forgiveness that we have received. That's, our, that's going to be our, our definition then. Now, there's a critical question that, that comes up whenever we Christians talk about forgiveness. Uh, and it's, this is where, where many Christians disagree. And it reveals a, a very different uh, perspective on what forgiveness is. It, it really makes a, a tremendous difference how you, how you define things here. Uh, the question is this. 
Must there first be repentance for you to forgive? Does the person who sinned against you need to repent before you forgive them? Now again, uh, let's not lose our definition. Forgiveness is that cancellation of the debt. So it's saying, I, I cannot any longer ask God for justice once this debt is canceled. It is gone. I've erased it. I've taken it on myself. Uh, for that to happen, must there first be repentance? This comes as a surprise to many Christians. The biblical answer is, yes. Yes, there must be Repentance. For the full process of forgiveness to take place, for that debt to be canceled, there must be repentance. Uh, Here's where we need to understand the meaning of forgiveness very clearly. Uh, In our day, forgiveness is often often equated with psychological freedom, or or freedom from bitterness, or freedom from dwelling on the past, or simply letting go, not, not thinking about what was done anymore. But biblically defined, that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is the removal of a debt. It is therefore a transaction that occurs between two people uh, or between a person and God. Where there is no repentance, that transaction does not take place. You see it sometimes when, when there's a, a mass uh, killing or, or some heinous crime. And, and immediately, you, you, you sometimes see this, immediately there's this group of people, sometimes not even the victims, uh, who are holding up signs saying, we forgive you. Now, if they are indeed the victims, uh, and, and if that forgiveness is, is sincere, then that is a miracle of grace that they're able to extend that kind of forgiveness uh, to, to overcome hatred and bitterness. Those are, those are good things. Uh, but forgiveness is still more than that. Forgiveness is saying, God, I, I, I will not ask God to, to hold you accountable for this. It is saying even more, uh, your debt, what you have done to me, is gone. It is no longer there. Uh, that we cannot do without repentance. Uh, now, now let me let me be clear because there there will be objections on this point. I'm not saying that if there's no repentance, you are now therefore free to 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 seek revenge or to harbor bitterness or hatred. Uh, again, we live in light of the cross, and, and so what we often do a distinction that's helpful that I mentioned last time too is we can distinguish between a heart of forgiveness and the act. Of forgiveness, or uh, as, as counselors will talk about, attitudinal forgiveness and transactional forgiveness. Uh, again, we are still Christians living in light of the cross. If a Christian understands what was done for us on the cross and what we have been forgiven, there ought to be in his or her heart nothing but mercy and compassion for those who have sinned against them. Uh, they will pray for the repentance of the one who has sinned. They will want to have that opportunity to extend that forgiveness. And they will do whatever is in their power to get to that point where they may extend that forgiveness. They will show love. They will show mercy. Uh, They will also relinquish uh, the poison of bitterness, uh, knowing also that it's toxic to themselves. So all those things are are certainly true, and we'll come back to those uh, in a moment 
Uh, I'm also not talking here about uh, times where we're simply called to overlook an offense. This is another biblical category where, where sometimes we just overlook an offense. You don't demand repent, repentance. You don't uh, have a big family meeting about every tiny sin that's committed. Sometimes you're called just to overlook the offense. Uh, in, in our home, we call this marriage. Uh, it happens all the time. Uh, we overlook sin. We have to, otherwise we would, we would be you know, rebuking each other all the time for every sin that's ever committed. Uh, we recognize sometimes God is, is working on this person. God's not done yet. They're, they're not yet who they will one day be. And so I will bear with their weaknesses and overlook uh, these minor offenses. But where, where there is an offense that is too great to be overlooked... The response of a Christian in light of the cross is to seek the repentance of the one who has sinned. Uh, and, and to seek that repentance so that there may be forgiveness. But for that forgiveness to take place, it must take place with that repentance. Again, remember that our forgiveness is based on God's forgiveness and it's a reflection of God's forgiveness. That's the words of our text again. As God has forgiven you, so you must repent. So we may ask, how has God forgiven us? And we realize God does not and cannot forgive those who do not repent. God doesn't forgive those who don't repent. Uh, and you can, you can see this all over Scripture. 1 John 1 verse 8. If we say we have no sin... That's the heart of unrepentance. I'm not guilty. I didn't do it. I'm, I'm innocent. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, there's that repentance. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When does God forgive? When we confess our sins. Uh, Acts, Acts 2 uh, this is Peter's sermon to the Jews, and it says, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance is there uh, first. Uh, one more, Second Peter 3, verse 9. Uh, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but what? But that all should reach repentance. Uh, God desires repentance so that He may forgive. Now, those who would, would hold to the, the position that, no, we repent anyways, it doesn't matter whether, or excuse me, we forgive anyways, it doesn't matter whether there's repentance, uh, they might point to Jesus' words on the cross, uh, where, where Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. No, certainly, in that moment, they had not repented. Uh, the problem, though, is we're confusing here the, the heart of forgiveness with the action of forgiveness. Uh, what we see in Christ there is a heart of forgiveness. He prays to the Father, Father, forgive them. But he himself does not extend that forgiveness. Uh, he, he offers it. He, he wants them to know that it's there. But the Lord Jesus had the power to forgive. You think of the, the paralytic in, 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 I believe it's Mark chapter 9, where he says to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. And this causes an uproar because the Pharisees say, how can this man forgive sins? Uh, the Lord Jesus could have said from the cross, I forgive you. 
But that's not what he says. He says, Father, forgive them. He didn't forgive the sin right then and there, but prayed that that forgiveness could happen. Uh, You see the same thing with with the deacon, Stephen, when when he was stoned by this angry mob uh, in Acts 7. It says, falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. It's a prayer that God would forgive. But that forgiveness that he gives to them does not take place without repentance. Uh, There can be then a commitment on our side, a commitment to not hold the sin of someone against them. And that commitment can be there even before there is repentance. And, And we ought to work towards that point, whether there is repentance or not. That's what a Christian should work towards. But that act of forgiveness, that canceling of a debt, can only happen where there is repentance. Uh, So you can say to someone, to to illustrate this, you can say to someone, I've forgiven you in my heart. I'm committed to that forgiveness, but I still want to forgive you in person. And for that, I need you to repent. Uh, We we need that repentance to be there. Uh, So so again, we, we make this distinction between attitudinal and transactional forgiveness. And we recognize that our forgiveness is modeled after God's. And God does not forgive those who do not repent. And think about this then. God does not demand of us a greater thing than He is willing to do Himself. God doesn't ask us to do something that God would not do Himself. Uh, And and you can see this from Jesus' own words. In in Luke 17, uh, this is the clearest clearest, uh, text, I think, in support of this. Uh, Luke 17, verse 3. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Again, we're not saying here that that therefore gives you a license to seek revenge or to harbor bitterness or hatred uh, uh, while there is no repentance. That's neither healthy for you, nor is it an appropriate response to the cross. Uh, And so if you're hearing this and you're, you're thinking, all right, I didn't realize this. I actually don't have to forgive people. Uh, And that's kind of nice because I didn't want to forgive them. Uh, That's not the heart, uh, a proper heart in response to the cross. If you're saying, I I want to hold this against them until the day they die, uh, then you need to spend more time at the foot of the cross. If your heart is cold, if you don't feel mercy or compassion for someone who is going to hell because of their sins then you need to spend more time considering what Christ has done for you on the cross, how much you have been forgiven. Uh, The heart of a Christian, and we see this in Colossians as well, um, already back earlier in the chapter where he says we are to be tender-hearted, to have hearts of compassion. The heart of a Christian is one of compassion and mercy that, like God, desires repentance so that there may be forgiveness. Uh, Romans, uh, again, remember, remember what God did for us. Romans 5, verse 8. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, before there was repentance, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us while we were enemies of God. And He died in order to obtain that forgiveness and that repentance. 
Uh, if we understand the grace of, of the cross at all, then we ought to have a heart that wants to forgive. And, and in most cases, we will also work towards that repentance so that there may be forgiveness. Uh, and, and so it's only in that respect that we, we can and, and may talk about uh, forgiving before there is repentance. When we're referring there to what goes on in the heart, uh, we can make a commitment to repentance uh, to, to seeking their repentance so that they may be forgiven. Uh, but we cannot forgive until that repentance comes. This is also why the Bible talks about times where we are to leave it to the wrath of God. Uh, it's, a, it's a common biblical command. Leave it to the wrath of God. If you've forgiven someone, there is nothing left that you may leave to the wrath of God. You're saying that what they've done against me is gone. I, it's no longer there. I've canceled that debt. You can't cancel it and then still pray for God's justice against it. Uh, if, if we were expected then to immediately forgive after every offense, regardless of whether there's repentance, uh, there would be no reason left to cry out to God for justice. And yet we're told over and over in Scripture uh, not to forget the wrath of God, to, uh, to, to do exactly that, to cry out to God for justice. Uh, Think about this, the example of Paul in in 2 Timothy 4, verse 14. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. That's crying out to God for justice. Um, For those who would say, you know, you must automatically forgive, you'd you'd have to take issue with the Apostle Paul there, uh, who is is simply leaving it to the wrath of God. God. And now, of course, if this, if this Alexander had repented, then Paul as a Christian would surely be expected to, to forgive him. And we can assume that, that Paul has, in the meantime, been praying for this man's repentance, as he calls us and teaches us to do. Uh, but in the meantime, Paul leaves that debt, which cannot yet be canceled, he leaves it in the hands of God. And this is why Christians also may pray the imprecatory psalms. This is something we often struggle with because we wonder, am I allowed to pray these, these songs asking for God's, uh, for God's wrath and God's justice? Uh, but God gives those psalms to us so that we would leave things to His wrath, so that we would not ourselves take vengeance into our own hands. And we need that. We need that as human beings, made in the image of God, who's, uh, who, who have His justice written on our hearts, uh, when we suffer injustice, and especially uh, terrible injustice of the kinds that, that the psalmist experiences, uh, we, we need the right and the opportunity to cry out to God for justice. Uh, we ought never then to withhold that from those who have experienced injustice where there is not yet repentance. That's a gift God gives them that we ought not to take away. Uh, and so you might wonder, well, why all this fuss about defining forgiveness the right way? If, you know, if people want to forgive even before there's repentance, why stop them? Isn't that a good thing uh, for them to do anyways? Well, the reason it matters is because what happens is that if we're going to say you, you forgive anyways, whether or not there's repentance, what happens is that one of two things. Either you will lay a heavier burden on them than God himself has laid, where God says you may still cry out for justice, uh, and, and, and thereby we also then contradict these examples of Scripture, like Paul, like the, the psalmist, uh, or 
more often what happens is we end up cheapening the true meaning of forgiveness. Uh, we reduce it to this sort of psychological freedom or, or letting go or choosing not to think about what was done when in fact true forgiveness is much more than that. Uh, true forgiveness is a profound and, and awe-inspiring thing when you see it happen. It, it really is. I'm not just, just you know, waxing eloquent about, about forgiveness. Uh, when you encounter true Christian forgiveness, the, the sincere cancellation of a debt that was owed, it is an awe-inspiring thing. We ought not to cheapen that uh, by, by calling for something else and, and naming it forgiveness. Uh, true forgiveness is personal, it's sacrificial, and it's a gift. It's not something that merely happens in the heart. It's something that takes place between two people. And it's something that, that can only happen in light of the cross of Christ. It only happens when we know what has taken place between us and God, that a much greater debt has been canceled, that we can then forgive the debts of others. The rest of the world can achieve the, the, the psychological freedom or, or the, the choice not to hate, if, if that's how we're defining forgiveness. Non-Christians can have those things, but, but true forgiveness is a Christian phenomenon. Uh, and in that vein, let me give one more reason why I believe from Scripture that, that there must be uh, repentance uh, for forgiveness to take place. And it's this, true forgiveness is inextricably linked to reconciliation. It's linked to reconciliation, the restoration of a loving and a peaceful relationship. Uh, now, again, uh, there, there may be objections here, so hear me out. I, I will uh, qualify this. Forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. You can have forgiveness even as reconciliation has not fully taken place. But forgiveness does always lead towards reconciliation. It is the first stepping stone on the way to reconciliation. The two are inseparably tied together. Uh, So forgiveness is the cancellation of a debt. Reconciliation is is the restoration of a relationship that results from that debt having been cancelled. Uh, now, now by, by reconciliation or restoration, I do not mean um, restoration of exactly the same relationship that was there before. In most cases, that's, that's not possible for the same relationship to exist that was there before, at least not after, after grievous sin has been committed. Um, nor do I mean the rebuilding of trust. We'll get to that in, in just a moment. Uh, but it does mean, uh, it does mean the, the process of, of re- restoring or even establishing a peaceful and loving relationship. And that is tied to forgiveness. You have not forgiven someone to say it boldly, you have not forgiven someone if you are not committed to restoration. Uh, now, now, that, of course, is a process. It takes time. It doesn't happen all at once. It may not happen uh, completely on this side of eternity. Uh, but it is a process that must begin when there is true forgiveness. Uh, if, if you are unwilling to reconcile, then you have not canceled the debt. Now, this is, this is where it, uh, another place where it gets controversial. 
Because a lot of Christians misunderstand forgiveness as, as what we've dealt with before, that, that simple relinquishing of bitterness. And so you sometimes hear Christians say things like, I've forgiven that person. I just don't want to see them again. That's not forgiveness. Uh, or, uh, you know, I've forgiven them, and if they want to talk to me, I'll talk to them. But I'm not going to go out of my way to talk to them. There's something still there then between you that has not been canceled. Uh, forgiveness is the cancellation of debt that leads towards reconciliation. Uh, and, and again, it's modeled after God's forgiveness. When God forgave our sins, what was the next thing that happens? He reconciled us to himself. He didn't just forgive us and then say, well, I hope these people you know, you know, wake up to what's going on and, and, and come back to me. No, God forgave us, sought our restoration, and, and reconciled us to himself. So when Paul says in, in, in Colossians 3, forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive, the implication is that forgiveness leads towards a restoration of a relationship. If we say, I forgive, but I refuse to be reconciled, we haven't truly forgiven. Uh, All of this, again, comes down to to seeing the magnitude of what has been forgiven us at the cross of Christ. And and then living out of the realization that we have been forgiven much more. If God would make peace with us, uh, then, then we also ought to desire peace and loving relationship with those whom we have forgiven. Having said that, let me take just a a couple minutes to to make clear some things that forgiveness does not mean. Forgiveness does not mean excusing, approving, or diminishing sin. Forgiveness is recognizing that sin, that that debt is real, and it's serious enough that Christ had to die for it. Uh, So forgiveness is recognizing a real debt of justice is owed and that apart from this act of forgiveness, payment will be made for what has been done. Uh, So forgiveness ought never to be uh, equated with treating sin like it's no big deal. If the one who who has sinned wants their sin to be treated like it's no big deal, uh, then they have not yet repented. Uh, Forgiveness only happens when sin is taken seriously for what it is. Secondly, forgiveness also does not mean enabling sin. It is not enabling sin. Now, enabling sin happens when uh, someone refuses to be held accountable. So they, uh, they, they commit sin and they say, well, yeah, but you, you're not allowed to do anything about that because you're a Christian and you're supposed to forgive. That's, that's enabling sin. Uh, after an offense is committed, if the offender is saying, well, you're supposed to forgive me, they again are showing by that that they have not repented. Um, forgiveness is not obliged. Uh, it is a gracious gift. Uh, number three, related to this, forgiveness does not mean the elimination of consequences. Uh, sin always has consequences, always. Uh, Sin always causes damage, and that damage is not undone by the act of forgiveness. Uh, Even even after real forgiveness takes place, there are are many things that are still broken as a result of that that sin. And and one of the ways, again, that you can measure true repentance is uh, is whether or not there is an acceptance of the consequences for the sin that was committed. 
If someone refuses to accept the consequences, they haven't repented. Now, depending on the sin, those consequences may be something as simple as withholding of certain privileges, a computer, a cell phone. Um, It may be something greater. It may mean losing your job. It may mean dismissal from office within the church. It may be submission to a system of, of accountability. These are consequences for sin. And if a crime has been committed, then, then one of the consequences is also submission to the authorities. Um, and that may even mean jail time. Uh, there's no contradiction, uh, there's nothing contradictory about extending forgiveness while at the same time calling the police. It's saying, I forgive you. What you have done it, it no longer stands between us. But there are still consequences for the sin that was committed that on this earth you will still have to live with. Uh, In in the cases of of child abuse, uh, that's even a moral obligation that that the authorities must be contacted uh, in light of that. Uh, So forgiveness does not ever mean the elimination of consequences. Number four, forgiving is not forgetting. Uh, You hear this all the time, forgive and and forget. You can't forget. Uh, You weren't made to forget. It it doesn't come naturally to us. It it doesn't ever come to us. Uh, We weren't made to forget things, and it would be unhealthy if if we did. Uh, That's not not normal. Uh, Now, of course, if we're talking the small offenses that, that we are to overlook... Um, one would hope that, that you forget those things. That's why Paul also talks about love does not keep a record of wrongs. Um, the, the little things you, you would hope can be forgotten. But, but significant sins will not just be forgotten, and, and forgetting ought never to be a measure for whether or not there has been forgiving, uh, forgiveness. Uh, when, when sin has been committed, in most cases, it won't be forgotten. If a husband cheats on his wife, she's not just going to forget it. She may forgive it. Again, that's the canceling of a debt, taking that upon herself. That's, a, that's a, a, a tremendous thing to do, but it never means that she will forget it. Uh, well, sometimes people say, well, doesn't God, doesn't God forget sin? Um, they might point to Jeremiah 31, uh, where it says, God remembers our sins no more. But obviously... That's a manner of speaking. It's saying God will not hold us to account for those sins. God has forgiven them. Uh, but you know, God doesn't have amnesia. God hasn't forgotten what happened. He still knows what happened. He simply has forgiven it. So forgiveness is not forgetting. Uh, number five, this is a big one. Forgiving does not mean ceasing to feel pain for what has happened. Uh, even, if, even if forgiveness truly takes place, uh, there may still be pain, and it may last for a lifetime. Uh, memories come back. Feelings of betrayal uh, return. Uh, anger comes back. Hurt can last for, for a lifetime. Healing comes slowly. Uh, that's just part of the consequences on this earth for the sin. Uh, sin causes damage. And so expecting someone to take responsibility for the hurt that, that they have committed is not contradictory to forgiveness. Uh, they, they've done damage. They're accountable still for that damage. A genuine, and that's part of genuine repentance, that it takes responsibility 
for the sin that was done. It says, I've hurt you. I'm responsible for your pain, and I'll do all that is within my power uh, to, to, to be there uh, however I can. I've broken things, and even if they can't be entirely fixed, I'm still responsible to attend to them uh, to the utmost of my ability. That's true repentance. Uh, so forgiveness is not ceasing to feel pain or brokenness. Uh, that, that's just there in this life. Uh, number six, forgiveness is not just a one-time decision. It's also an ongoing commitment. It's not just a one-time decision. It's also an ongoing commitment. Uh, because the hurt carries on and the feelings of betrayal still come back uh, and anger still will exist, it's impossible not to, uh, not to, from time to time, drag that forgiven sin out of the dumpster um, again and, and then it's back on the table and, and you have again that, that urge to, to take vengeance or, or payback. Um, but if it has been forgiven, it must remain forgiven. So forgiveness is not just a one-time thing. It's an ongoing commitment to say, this will not be on the table. It's going back into the dumpster. Uh, and, and here's also where forgiveness is such a uniquely Christian phenomenon because the strength by which we keep that commitment comes only from standing at the foot of the cross where we see God's grace towards us. It's the only way we'll ever maintain a commitment to forgive. And number seven, and lastly, forgiveness is not a restoration of trust. It may be a restoration or, or the first step in a restoration of, of a relationship, but it is not automatically a restoration of trust. Trust, just by, by virtue of what it is, takes time to build and is easy to break. Uh, it, it takes uh, very little to break trust. It takes a lot to build it. And the only lasting way for the sinner to rebuild that trust is with integrity and daily repentance and humility. It takes time. Uh, if they're insisting on it, um, that it happened right away, that now you've got to trust me again, that too is a mark of, of unrepentance. Um, it, it cannot be rushed. It cannot be insisted upon artificially, but it must be worked on with the Spirit uh, as, as, we, as we seek to rebuild that relationship over time. And when that is done, then slowly trust, though perhaps never full trust, but some trust can usually be rebuilt. Uh, So we need to emphasize all these things then that forgiveness is not. Having said that, let's not forgive, or excuse me, let's not forget what it is. And first of all, what it has been towards us. The gracious canceling of the debt that we owed God um, to, that he gives, that he cancels for us upon our repentance, that leads to a restoration of a relationship. And that is also then what it must be as we extend it to one another. We cannot ever forget in all of this the cross of Christ. Without the cross of Christ, forgiveness is impotent. It will not happen. It has no no power. Um, We must remember that we have, all of us, been forgiven much more than ever God will ask us to forgive one another. That's the, the foundation and the compelling reason for our forgiveness. And having said that, then we do want to take to heart the words of the Lord Jesus. You must keep your eyes fixed on the cross because the Lord Jesus says, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you yours. 
Though forgiveness is, is unobliged by nature, it's a debt that's truly owed to you that you don't have to demand that anyone pays, yet the Lord Jesus reminds us, if you're going to insist on your right for justice, then so will God towards you. He will not forgive those who do not themselves forgive. Uh, so, so though we are not obliged, as we look to the cross of Christ, there ought to be within our hearts a desire to forgive. And when that opportunity comes, there must then be the act of forgiveness. For those who do know how much they've been forgiven, praise God that He gives you the opportunity to reflect. Even though it's in a small way, He gives you the opportunity to reflect the grace that He has shown to you. You get to practice that same grace towards one another. Uh, Forgiveness in that way is an absolutely unique feature of Christ and His disciples. No other religion comes comes close, either in in, in theory or in, in practice. Forgiveness only is found uh, in the Christian church. Uh, praise God that we have the opportunity to be an embodiment of His love and grace towards us and to extend that out to one another. So, brothers and sisters, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Amen. Let's respond to God's word by singing from Psalm 32, stanzas 1 through 3.